This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 134. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. Riley is the guy who loves tacos. He really does. Mm. And I am mm. Jacob Paulson. And Jacob is the man who secretly, is it really that secretly? Does not <laughs> like Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> well, I try not to admit it out loud in big groups because most people will be like, what's wrong with you? You're you're not even a patriot if you don't like Thomas Jefferson. And uh, Yeah, I, let's just say he's my least favorite founding father. How's that? I, I respect him as a founding father, but Jacob, you know, we're approaching here Independence Day. Uh, many folks will be celebrating this special uh, time of the year. And uh, just real quick, in case, you know, they didn't pick this up in grade school or high school, which should be totally understandable because uh, these discussions were never had in any of my classes. But real quick, what's the differences between Jefferson and maybe some of the other founding fathers, you know, politics? Well, mostly Jefferson was really was a hypocrite. You know, he'd say one thing and do another. Um, and, and in fact, there, there's a couple of really good books out there by historians who believe that the man had some legitimate like mental deficiencies that prevented him from uh, even knowing, you know, what he had done. Like he would, he essentially would, would do something and then say he'd never done it. And, and a lot of historians think he actually believed he had never done that thing. Um, so the, the man was, was just very hypocritical, whether knowingly so or completely ignorant of the fact that he was a liar uh <laughs> how's that oh there you go that's pretty honest and straightforward uh so anyway we hope that uh i mean this will be we do have a special episode planned next week by the way uh to be released just before just in time for the uh uh, Independence Day celebration uh you know for the uh, July 4th and so uh but we do hope that over this next this coming weekend that you enjoy your weekend and that as you're getting ready for um, the Independence Day, uh, that you have a good time. So uh, today's episode, by the way, is uh, we introduced it a little bit on uh, Monday's episode, episode 133. I told you we'd be talking about keeping a gun on the nightstand and whether... This <laughs> this is an interesting topic that comes up from time to time. We have some comments that are made on p- various posts from time to time. Uh, Jacob, you wrote a whole article about the idea, uh, you know, as far as different ways that people might keep their gun on the nightstand, or in other words, keeping a gun ready uh, to be used essentially when you're in bed, when it's middle of the night and, you know, suddenly a situation calls for needing a gun quickly in that type of situation. So I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Uh, If you are looking for more training and better gear, we hope you'll consider joining Guardian Nation to be part of the fastest growing tribe and best prepared group of people of self-defense shooters nationwide. Members receive access to the ConcealedCarry.com shooter skill library, Guardian Nation live broadcasts, which we just held one last night together with world champion shooter Rob Latham. And also, you get 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com. Plus, upcoming next week, we have our Happy Birthday America sale and Member Appreciation Day, which we are calling Guardian Day. Really amazing sale. This is like Black Friday, but in the summer. 
So <laughs> we're looking to have looking to have some fun with that sale. Uh, but uh, some of those things you, you've got to be a Guardian Nation member to get access to some of those special deals. Uh, members also receive a box of shooting gear four times a year, worth at least a value of the membership. So it's a no-brainer. The math is it, it like we're giving you stuff for free. <laughs> just by being a, a member of Guardian Nation. Go check it out at guardiannation.com. We hope to see you soon. Today's episode is also brought to you by concealedcarry.com adhesive targets. These are great little peel and stick targets. We'll tell you some more about those in a little bit. And also, today's episode is sponsored by Quick Draw. So, what do you say, Jacob? Should we get into it? Game on. I think we should start with the survey data. Okay. Well, you put together the survey and collected the, a lot of that da- data. So tell us about the survey, the survey that uh, concealedcarry.com did and uh, some of the interesting things that came out of that. Yeah. You know, um, I think what some people got to understand is that you know, Riley and I, we're, we're both young parents, right? Like how old's your oldest? Like 10 or 11 or something? 10. 10. My oldest is nine. Um, so My youngest is two and a half. And what's your youngest? Um, six. That took a minute. I had to think about it. <laughs> you, yeah. You're forgiven. Yeah. So, Your wife's probably not listening to this anyway. So that's right. the The takeaway, I guess, what I'm trying to communicate is sometimes you know my my entire you know firearm instructor career has been during a time when I had young children. In fact, uh, I I became a certified instructor in early 2007. My first child was born in late 2007. So virtually my entire firearm instructor career, I've had young kids in the house. So in my mind, um, it just made sense that, you know, firearms should always be locked up and safe. And every once in a while, sure, I've had the student who's raised their hand and said, well, I live alone. I don't, no one comes over ever, so I'm not putting the gun in the safe. And yeah, in my head, I've often, I guess, you know, thought, well, you probably should, but, you know, who am I to argue with you? But I never really, you know, I guess went collectively out into the industry and said, hey, let's, let's just find out what people are actually doing. Like, what is the norm? And, and then go from there. And so the survey was really designed to help us find out what is the norm? You know, what, what are people currently doing? And then with that kind of context, it, it was a lot easier to then, you know, say, well, let's, let's see what the wise thing is. What is the smart thing? And put together some, some ideas for people. So we asked a handful of, of questions in the survey. And this survey, let's see, we had 3,329 respondents. We just sent it out via email. And uh, we had a, you know, a little over 3,300 people take the survey. And it was pretty interesting um, it, uh, let me, you know, I'm not going to bury the lead. Let me just kind of give you the, the real core nuts and bolts here. The number one kind of main big question was at night when in bed, do you keep the, bu- get the gun either near or on the bed in a safe or near or on the bed, not in a safe or not near or on the bed? And the first thing we did when we were looking at the data is we eliminated all responses that had any th- that where people don't keep the gun near or on the bed. We figure, okay, we if, if you don't keep the gun anywhere near the bed, we don't want your info in our data. So we just delete all of you know your entire survey response. So we're only looking at people who do keep the gun near or on the bed. And then we're simply saying, well, is it in a safe or not in a safe? And uh, th- this was a funny one. So So for the percentage, here it goes. Near or on the bed and in a gun safe, 18.25%. Near or on the bed and not in a gun safe, 81.75%. Wow. 
That's I was shocked. I mean, frankly, I remember when we talked about this in one of our company meetings and all the other employees were like, duh, Jacob, what did you expect? And I was like, uh, not this. <laughs> so apparently I was naive or clueless. Right. How about you, Riley? Shocked by that? Yeah, no, I, I, I have to admit I was sur- surprised as well. I mean, kind of, I was surprised. Partially also not, there was a part of me that wasn't surprised. Uh, kind of, I mean, being familiar with the industry, with people in the industry and, and having conversations with people through the years. But yet still a little bit surprising. So, you know, you and I, I, I do think, uh, compared to some people, have a somewhat unique, you know, take on this. I mean, we both believe very strongly in keeping our our children safe. And I know some some out there, some gun owners would say, "Well, I keep my gun, my children safe by teaching them about guns and teaching them how to properly handle them, or teaching them, you know, about respecting them and not touching them uh, if they come across one." And you know what? I teach all my kids that same stuff too. Yeah, so do I, right? I mean, no. I, I'm going to teach my kids a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to send them to a party where there's beer and drugs and say, it's going to be fine because I taught them not to drink and not to do drugs. Uh, you know, I, I think I think that we have to have some context there. And, 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 and you know, there, we asked some other questions in the survey that we thought would give it some context. We thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, if 81.75% of people don't keep their gun in the safe, maybe, you know, 81% of our survey takers don't have kids. Uh, or, you know, maybe um, they, the people who, who don't keep it in a safe, they don't have a round in the chamber. Maybe they, that's, that's a way that they justify it. Uh, or maybe it's a different kind of gun. Maybe they're using a double-action revolver or a shotgun or a bolt-action rifle. You know, so there were a lot of little things um, that I thought, well, maybe this, well, this will tell the story. Um, I even, we even asked questions like, do you have roommates? Is your bedroom on an upper or lower level, you know, further away from a front door, basically? Do you have a home security system? And do you have a loud, annoying, I think the word, what the question was loud barking dog. Uh, cause I thought these might all be factors that would, would indicate why someone, uh, is inclined to, uh, not put the gun in, in the safe. And and the data there was kind of interesting. But before I get into the, those responses, I did have to share a couple of unique emails that we got. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> just, just for fun. <laughs> so, so we had one guy who uh, sent us an email and he said, well, you know, I think that I can't answer your survey questions properly because... Um, None of them apply to me. And, you know, we got a couple, several of these like, well, I, you know, none of these quite fit me. And so I had to respond to several of these like, well, explain, you know, why to me it's pretty comprehensive. Either it's in or near, you know, it's either near the bed in a safe, in an, in the, near the bed, not in a safe, or it's not near the bed. Like, what is the alternative? And the first one is this guy said, well, I keep it on the bed. And so we had to change our survey data to ask, you know, near slash on the bed. Uh, the the first, you know, several respondents when they took the survey, it just said near bed or not near bed. So apparently on the bed, and and that was kind of surprising to me that some some gun owners keep the gun on the bed. But as I researched that more, there are holsters that you can buy that kind of you know go in between a mattress or mount onto uh, a, a headboard or different things like that. It's not it's not you know we shouldn't assume that they're just sticking it under the pillow. Um, there are some legitimate methodologies you know that a gun could be um, in a holster on a bed. We had one guy who responded to to me via email and said that he sleeps in a recliner at night 
and there's a holster mounted on the side of the recliner. So, you know, there you go. And uh, we, the, another one that was interesting is we had several people who responded to the, to the email and said that, that the survey was flawed. And their issue was that the survey didn't capture intent. In other words, they felt uh, like they were being judged for their response without an opportunity to explain their response. So I had one guy, for example, who, you know, he he was upset and, and he said that, you know, technically the response um, near bed or on bed in safe was accurate for him. However, he didn't like it because while while he's sleeping, what he does right before he goes to sleep is he opens the safe. And so the door is open and then he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up in the morning, he closes the safe. And so he felt like, okay, well, yeah, technically I can answer the question accurately, but it doesn't, it, the question is not you know, capturing this little tiny detail of the fact that, yes, my gun is in a safe, but it's unlocked. And, you know, so there are a lot of just little things. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you do a survey like this, you're asking people to, you know, put themselves in, in one of three buckets. And sometimes it feels awkward to, to put yourself in one of those buckets because it's not capturing intent. And so as we go through the rest of this data and then as we, you know, continue this conversation, you know, bear that in mind for what it's worth. Right. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, or different ways that people do things. Um, I do have uh, one comment about, you know, this keeping a gun on the bed or under the pillow or, you know, I've, I've that's not the first time I've heard of somebody suggesting or saying they, they, they have a gun essentially with them in the bed. And that is that have people accidentally shot themselves or someone else while they were asleep? The uh-huh. answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, in fact, if you, our 300 negligent discharge study, which is the last kind of big research thing we did, uh, and we did an episode about that here on the podcast, there were at least, I'd say, a dozen stories where someone was getting shot in bed with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So the reality is that's probably not a best practice, in my opinion. I mean, by all means, do whatever it is that you feel you are comfortable doing, but. I would not advise it. Uh, so, I, I, the, the, uh, granted, there's different levels, I guess, of having a gun with you in the bed. I mean, there there would be just having the gun literally under the pillow or on the bed, uh, out in the open, unprotected. Or also, I guess you could have a gun on the bed or under the pillow in a holster where the trigger guard is actually protected. Meaning you couldn't somehow accidentally, in the course of the night, moving in your sleep, you know, just somehow catch the trigger and fire off around. So, um, anyway, so, so I was thinking about Jacob and, you know, I'm like, okay, presently how I keep my guns, uh, close to bed and ready for quick, you know, quick use, uh, at night is in a quick access safe, which is a big part of, you know, where this study led us to, uh, you're going to, I'm sure get into that a little bit more. You're going to talk a little bit about the, the, even the video that we put together that you put together primarily, uh, showing, you know, your testing of all these different types of safes or different ways of, of potentially keeping a gun, uh, near the bed. And uh, kind of the, the results that came out of that as far as how quick some methods were as compared to others. And I'm thinking, am, do I see myself ever changing the way I currently do it as far as like right now, I absolutely, in my opinion, have to keep my guns secured uh, regardless of the circumstance because I have a two-year-old in the house. And yes, I'm already beginning to teach him 
about guns and gun safety, but he's two years old. He cannot be expected to be responsible for his his choices and his decisions. Uh, so, you know, I've got to keep things secured. All right, so let's imagine that two-year-old is 10 or 12, you know, and the other kids are older or they're out of the house. Um, will I change the way I do it? Like, would I be a little bit more okay with having my gun just laying on my nightstand? And I'm thinking, you know what? No, I don't see myself changing because... I've practiced getting my gun out of my quick access safe many times. In fact, I do it on a daily basis. It gets practiced every day because I carry on my person and, you know, from morning till night and I go to bed, I put it away and in the morning I, I get it out. And so every day I at least have at least one repetition of getting my gun out of my quick access safe. And just for clarification, man, I mean, because I'm sure some people will say you guys are just biased towards your sports of field brand because that's primarily what you sell on your website. I have been a gun vault product user for over 10 years. And in fact, I've realized, Jacob, the one I have, the gun vault product I have is different <laughs> than all the new ones that are that I that I'm seeing out there. Uh, like the buttons actually feel different. In fact, I actually prefer mine. Uh, I think they're easier to press. Uh, the newer ones, I'm I'm less uh, a fan of. And also, but I'm I am a fan of the new ones using a I think a nine volt battery. Whereas my current one, my my old classic Gun Vault product uses like eight AA batteries. It's kind of insane. But anyway. <laughs> they don't so, make them like they used to, Riley. I'm sorry. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, do I see myself changing from from that? Uh, and and I, I I would say no because I don't see any real reason to. Uh, we could argue, and we're going to get into the numbers. You know that well, it does add you know one and a half seconds or whatever to my deployment uh, because I have to enter in a code. But you know that may be true. But I, I'll tell you, there was one time I was resting, I was sleeping. I've, t- I've shared this story before on the podcast where we had the intruder in our backyard. He was a wanted felon. Uh, he was he had carjacked this vehicle that he had stolen and, and that he had then driven across town and somehow ended up in our neighborhood, getting chased through the through our neighborhood, ends up in my backyard, ends up tackled and arrested, you know, right in front of my house, just 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 to the side of my neighbor's driveway. And I was sleeping during some of that event when my wife woke me up and alerted me to the situation. And I'll tell you, I flipped out of bed entered in that code because I wasn't sleeping with the gun on me at that point, entered in my code, door flipped open. I had my gun in my hand in seconds. And I mean, could a second make a difference? Yeah, I suppose. But I think that's a reasonable way of storing the gun that still allows me to very quickly access it, even from kind of a state, you know, a, a stupor, if you will. I was literally, I was still kind of, you know, groggy from, uh, from you know, my nap that I was uh, taking. I don't get very many opportunities for naps and that particular day for whatever reason I did. So anyway, I, I don't see myself changing. I, if anything, I, I, if I change something, it might be that an older child, I might go ahead and let them know or, or give them a code to a, a safe at some point um, because I, f- I trust them and I feel like it might be advantageous to have them, you know, have the ability to defend the home as well. Uh, but I won't, you know, not store my guns in a, a safe of some sort. And, and partly because I'm also concerned with a bad guy coming in and uh, particularly when I'm away from the home, but even when, when I'm in the home, because I have quick access safes in several locations in the home. So I can't guarantee that wherever an entry is made, that they're not going to get to a gun before, uh, before I can. So 
anyway, sorry, kind of long <laughs> rant. Well, you kind of summarized our whole episode up front, bro. <laughs> well, I'm setting the stage. I mean, we're going to obviously get into more detailed uh, numbers, statistics, uh, the testing that you did, uh, sure. you know, and, and and I think, you know, talking about some of these strategies or ideas in, in greater detail. So uh, yeah, I apologize there, but uh, take it away. <laughs> let's start. Let's talk about kids next. You, you talked about kids and a lot of our listeners may not have young children, but, but before we talk about kids, let me just say this. It might be grandchildren. Um, it might be your kids' friends that are over, you know, hanging out, playing. Um, it, it, you know, the kids is a, is a very broad thing, right? And so, you know, let's let's start with the, what the survey data says, and then let's talk a little bit about our own thoughts here. So we, we did ask this question of survey takers. We asked, basically, do you have kids in the house, and if so, how old? And we gave them several options. We said between 0 and 10 years old, 11 and 14, 15 and 17, 18 plus. And then we had an option for sometimes, i.e. when family visits, and then an option for never. I just, you know, I never have kids in the home, right? And as one would suspect, the younger uh, the kids are that are in the home, the more likely the gun owner is to lock up the gun at night in a safe. However, <laughs> however, even among gun owners who have children in the home between the ages of zero and 10, and these are not your average gun owners. These are people on, on our email list, right? So right. they, they care, you know, they're not, they're not gangbangers. So even, even among our email list with, with gun owners, with kids in the house between zero and 10, like Riley and I, a majority 53% still do not lock up that gun at night. Uh, they, they, they have it near to or on the bed, not in a gun safe. So 53%, I mean, it's, you know, you can call it half-half, it's close, but it's still more than half do not lock up the gun. And, and as you progress up the age, yeah, that number grows. From 53% uh, at ages 0 to 10, if you have kids between 11 and 14, it, it grows to 61% that do not keep it in a safe. Um, if you have kids 15 to 17 years old, all the way up to 80% now, 80% say, no, I'm not putting it in a safe. If you have kids 18 plus, it, it only incrementally goes up to 82%. And if you just never, if you're just like, no, we never have kids in this house, 92% do not put it in a safe. So, so while, yeah, it does gradually increase, uh, according to our survey data, um, it you know, regardless, even even among gun owners with extremely young children in the home, zero to ten years old, more than half of them still do not lock up that gun. So mm. here, here's my two cents. And you you talked a little bit about some of these things, but uh, you know, should we all teach our kids? Yes. Should we probably do an episode about that another day? Yes, we should. But just because you teach kids, does that mean that they'll never screw up? Like I, I love my kids. I think they're pretty dang awesome. But I'm not going to tempt fate. Yeah, I just, I won't do it. Like, I was talking about this earlier when I said, you know, I'm going to teach my kids, and I do teach my kids about uh, illegal drugs and drug use and and alcohol use. Uh, But does that mean when they want to go to the crazy drunk frat house party, I'm like, yeah, like, have a good time. No, I'm... (laughs) I'm not tempting fate. Like I won't do that, you know? And, and so in the same way, it's like, I'm not yeah, sure I'm going to teach my kids, you know, stop, don't touch, you know, leave the area till adult, don't play with it. It's dangerous. Keep your finger off the trigger, all the good stuff we should be teaching. But does that mean I'm gonna leave the gun sitting there? Um, so that'd be my first thought is, you know, yeah, I, I get it. Teach the kids, but I don't think that means anything. Um, B, what about other kids? I can't control all the kids that come through my house. You know, there, there might be other activities, you know, friends that are overplaying, things like that um, that you have to be cautious about. Another thought would be, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as blunt as I can, I frankly don't believe a gun owner who tells me 
that that gun it only is ever sitting on the nightstand when they're asleep. What they're suggesting is that at night, right before they go to sleep, they set the gun there, uh, you know, probably pull it off a holster, right? Set it on the nightstand, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, grab it, put it back on the body. I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't believe you. I, I believe that you might m- normally do that. That might be the day-to-day routine. But you're trying to tell me it's never, you've never done anything else. You've never slept in on, on a Saturday, got up, you know, put on some gym shorts and gone downstairs to get coffee and left that gun sitting on the nightstand. You tell me that's never happened before. Um, you've never woken up, realized you're late for something and dashed out and forgot, you know, left the gun there. Like, I just have a hard time believing that's never happened before that the gun's never been left unattended. You've, you've never gotten in the shower before and left that gun on the nightstand. Uh, I, I, so that would be my, my next thought is, you know, for, for those who say, oh, well, I have a very good routine. You know, I take the gun off at night. I set it down. I go to sleep. I get up in the morning. I pick it up. I don't know if I believe you. I think that there is an opportunity for that to be left unattended. And, and all of that, all those comments, we're just talking about children. There are other reasons why it's probably a bad idea. And you talked about that, Riley. But just speaking to children, those, those are some of my ideas. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I say ditto. I, I don't know that I can add anything to that necessarily. Um, but it is interesting to me. You know, it, it is kind of shocking that as many, you know, as, as high percentage as there was in, reported in our survey that have younger children in the home actually, you know, have a gun just sort of sitting out on a nightstand. Um, I, I, I just got to say, I as a safety advocate, as an instructor, and as a parent, as a dad, I do not advocate this behavior. I, I don't. And I know some of you out there will will, will take that hard, uh, hearing me say, you know what, what you're doing is wrong, but I truly believe that what you're doing is is not right. Uh, that, uh, uh, I mean, obviously you're, you're welcome to make the choices that, that you want to make. Uh, it's, it's your kids. Uh, I think you brought up actually a good point, Jacob, talking about, you know, what about other children that come into the home? Do you ever have other, if you've got kids, do you ever have other children come into the home? Oh yeah, you better believe it. Uh, I have my neighbor's kids in my home, um, at, at least at some point during the week, and, you know, some of them, believe it or not, I mean, because of the neighbors that I have, I've had conversations with about gun safety, but I, I, I don't know their kids like I know my kids. You know, I, I believe my 10 year old son would, would be just fine handling himself around a gun. Okay. Uh, my eight year old daughter. Yeah, she's, she's getting there. I, I don't, I, I, I don't think she would touch a gun necessarily, but. I'm still not quite ready to trust her, but I mean, I know my kids. I can't say the same about other people's kids. And you know what? There's this thing called, you know, group think or, uh, what's another term kind of describes it, Jacob. Um, uh, no, I don't know. The penguin you, effect. You, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about? Off, they all jump off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like, well, when, when you get kids together, and they're 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 looking for something fun to do. I mean, we've we've all been there. Heck, I I was when I was <laughs> I was a kid, and I did some stupid stuff because you're with other kids, and they're and for whatever reason, someone's like, "Hey, let's do this," and you're like, "Hey, that sounds like fun." Because whether because it's peer pressure or just because you're bored, and you're like, "Yeah, well, might as well you know go along with whatever the group is doing because you know 
you've got nothing better to do. Or at the very least, you just don't want to feel left out as part of the group. And so there's that aspect as well. And if you tell me that that doesn't exist, then I'll say, I'll I'll echo what you said earlier, Jacob, and that is liar, liar, pants on fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't tempt fate. Don't trust other people's kids. And, you know, lastly, like, don't fool yourself. You are on occasion, even if it's a rare occasion, leaving it unattended. Um, and frankly, I'll add to this. You being asleep is leaving it uncontrolled. I mean, it might be a couple feet away from you, but you're asleep. Uh, you know, I mean, <sighs> yeah, I'd like to believe your kids are asleep too, but yeah, I, I think we can bury that one and move on. But, um, yep. and, and, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yes, like for those, I, I with I'm with you, Riley. For those of you, 92 percent who don't put it on the in a gun safe, but you never have kids in the house. Like, okay, like I'm not going to argue with you. It's like, okay, like each their own. I respect your decision. But for those of you that have children in the house, zero to ten years old, and you don't lock up the gun, I think that's ridiculous. I, I don't think that's acceptable. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Uh, what other data did uh, the surveys bring out that you found interesting, Jacob? So I, I would not know, I don't know if I'd call it interesting, but many of you who are listening might have taken the survey, so I don't want to leave you out hanging. But we did ask about firearm status. So we asked, you round it, if, if you keep that gun, that's the gun that you have near you at night, is it round and chamber ready to fire? No round and chamber, need to rack slide or chamber round or unloaded, need to insert ammo or magazine. And that that didn't make a big difference. For those of you who keep it in a safe you're actually less likely to have a round in the chamber ready to fire. Um, for those of you who don't keep the gun in a safe, you're more likely to have it chambered. So that was kind of interesting. It's almost like two extremes. Like the people who keep the gun in the safe are so concerned about safety that they also don't put a round in the chamber. Whereas the person who just sits that gun sitting on the nightstand, no safe whatsoever, they're more likely to have a round in the chamber ready to go. <laughs> so I, I found that kind of interesting. Um, to me, I, I would I assumed it would be the opposite, right? That hey, if I'm a person who puts it in the gun safe, I'm gonna have a round in the chamber because I have a gun safe. Like the gun safe is the only layer of protection and security and safety I need. I want to be able to shoot the thing when I get it out. But that that turned out not to be the case. So for right. those of you who are care, you know, who who don't think the safe is necessary, you also think, you know, why why would I have to? Why would I want to rack the slide? Um, and that yeah, I don't know that that's uh, requires any more, you know comment from me other than I found that interesting. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't, do we have a feel for how many uh, of the respondents actually own a gun or, or the gun that they are putting on the nightstand even has a safety? Well, safeties, we didn't ask. We didn't ask anything yeah. about safety features. I kind of um, wish like after yeah. the fact, you know, like thinking back, you know, that we'd maybe, you know, those that answered in the affirmative as far as having around in the chamber, but no safety on, um, you know, could maybe have responded and said, well, you know, this is my type of gun, meaning that a lot of those could very well be uh, what we call safe action guns, which safe action is the Glock term, right? Or strike or fired where, yeah, it does have technically safeties, not maybe not necessarily an active safety or a manual safety um, because that that might be a situation or one area or one way where we got those types of responses. Uh, that would be definitely be true of me. I mean, I, I do have a couple of guns that have manual safeties. Uh, they're generally not my, my first choice, uh, for self-defense weapon. I mean, I, with the exception, of maybe my 1911, I, I do actually see, I actually have a couple of quick access safes uh, in the bedroom. And, uh, you know, one of those has a always loaded 1911 pistol. Uh, but even while in the safe, 
round is in the chamber and safety is on. Uh, because I don't know, that's just what you do as a 1911. Like I, I don't ever have a 1911 in any other condition unless one, it's completely unloaded or two, uh, it's out fully extended and I'm getting ready to fire a shot. In other words, the safety's always on, but, uh, I, I didn't think about the safety much. I mean, that's it, it, a good point. I mean, we, we should give some people the benefit, you know, the benefit of the doubt, I suppose that that's a factor in, the, in, in their decision to keep around in the chamber. Um, but to me, you know, when we're trying to, the real point of the data was, do you keep it in a safe or not? And I would have assumed that those who kept it in a safe would be more likely to say, well, I have it in a safe, so I'm going to have it ready to fire. And that those who did not have it in a safe would be more likely to say, because I don't have it in a safe, therefore, I'm not going to have a round in the chamber ready to fire. That's that's my my security protocol. But that just, it was the opposite. Yeah. So, uh all right, that's it. that is an interesting piece you pulled out of there. Let's talk now a little bit about the actual, I guess, testing that you did. Uh, you basically spent, I don't know, an afternoon. Well, one more thing, Riley. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Just just because for those of you who took it, uh, you know, we did ask what kind of gun. The vast majority, it's a semi-automatic. A couple of you, a handful of you, revolvers, some shotgun, not a lot of carbines or hunting rifles. And then it, it's also worth noting that when we asked about, do you have roommates? Do you have a security system? Do you have a loud barking dog? Uh, and do you have a, a bedroom that is uh, removed by one level from the entry to the home? Um, those four questions were in no way indicative of a person's likelihood to have a gun in the safe or not in the safe. In other words, the variance, have a gun in the safe or not in the safe, was the same despite any of those four conditions existing or not, not existing. So um, just in case you know, anyone was waiting for me to close that loop. Gotcha. Well, thanks for the clarification. All right, so you spent a good part of a day uh, just testing different response times based on the different you know ways or methods that you might have uh, a, a gun on the on or near the nightstand in your bedroom. Uh, most of that was testing different types of quick access safes. Uh, you started out kind of with a control, of course. With obviously, the fastest thing would be having a gun sitting on the nightstand, literally in the open. All you got to do, in theory, is you know jump up, grab it, point it, shoot it. Uh, then I think you did a gun in a drawer in the nightstand. And then you, we looked at different quick access safes, uh, ones that are kind of like a little... Um, I don't know how you describe it, but a little box, right? And the, the doors on the front, you know, meaning the front side of it. And upon entering yeah, the correct, Yeah, there you go. And then upon entering the correct combination, if the door flips open and you're grabbing your gun, uh, then you've got side mount safes, which are kind of the style where it's a little bit narrower. The gun is, is stored in there, oriented in a vertical position. Uh, upon entering the correct code, the door flips forward and... I, those are actually really cool because, you know, the gun is oriented already very naturally in a way for you to, to grab and use it. Uh, I think you tested a clamshell style, uh, which unlike some of the side access ones, you know, is generally not spring loaded as far as, you know, it, it doesn't have a door that just flips open. Uh, so it does have a little bit extra effort to, to flip it open. Um, i trying to think of there. Oh, and you also tested. So a lot of this was entering combinations. Um, but there, you also tested, you know, grabbing a key and having to use a key. Cause I do suspect that there are some people that, that have safes that only accept a key. And obviously that's going to be probably a little bit slower. Now, one thing we didn't test is a biometric version of any of these. This was all, you know, just entering in a 
combination. Push uh, button combination. Yep. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know if that's something that we will eventually do or not. Uh, some I've played around with a lot of different biometric versions of these safes, and some work very well uh, as far as like they, they actually respond pretty quickly and, you know, the door opens up. But I, I will just come right out. I'm not afraid to say it. I am not a fan of uh, biometric quick access safes. And the reason why is because I I, I never, I like one in a hundred, that might be a little optimistic even still, but, but honestly, I've been doing it for so many years. I, I've got it nailed down pretty good. I rarely make a mistake entering the code into my quick access safes. My biometric, I, I, I do own two biometric ones, by the way. I, I, they're, they're not kept in my bedroom. I don't necessarily depend upon them to save my life in an instant. Uh, I would say that one out of every 10 times I try to use it, the biometric reader gets it wrong. And, and that, yeah. that's intentional, by the way. The technology built into biometric safes is skewed so as to not have a, a false positive like you want to have false negative readings as opposed to false positive meaning like you sure. never want to have somebody that is not supposed to gain access to the safe, put their finger on the reader and the reader goes, Oh, that, I think that looks like, you know, the authorized person's fingerprint and thereby grant you access. No, you always want to err on the side of caution, meaning that you put your fingerprint on your finger on there and it, 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 even though it is you and it is your finger and it is the same finger that you registered in that reader for whatever reason, it gets it wrong and it denies you access to the safe. That is, and I, I think it's a necessary evil, uh, but that is an inherent problem with biometric safes. And it's one that I've encountered many, many, many times. So that, that's also kind of one of the reasons, in my opinion, I would rule biometric out from being an option in this case, because I am not willing to have, you know, to take that risk that in the moment when it does count, that my safe will refuse to open when I need it to. So I much prefer having more control and less opportunity for error by entering in the code myself. Yeah, I, I don't have as strong of feelings about it as you do. Um, mostly, I'd like to just believe that it's getting better all the time, that the technology is improving. And I, I'm more of a don't know if the technology is there yet kind of attitude versus conceptually it's inherently flawed, so I'm not going there. Um, but yeah, time will tell. Here, here's, here, here, here's what I would say. The reason I decided to do this test, like I saw the survey data, right? And I was like, huh, interesting, right? We got 80 something percent of people who don't keep the gun in a safe, uh, at, at night. So, you know, what, what does that mean? What do I, what do I do about that? And, and so he, that, 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 you know, when I embarked on this, I didn't go into it to say, let's find the, the safes that are the best. Like which safes are the fastest? Which ones are the, like, there's too many safes for me to test them all. So inherently that, that was really not a, an objective that could be determined. That wasn't the point. The point was, listen, there, there's two reasons why a gun owner decides to not put that gun in a safe at night. Just reason number one, you don't own a gun safe. <laughs> okay, like we have to accept that some of the people who said, no, it's not in a safe, it's not out of any you know, tactical sense at all. It's just simply they don't own one. Um, so, okay, like that that's, that's a possibility. And so I acknowledge that. It's like, okay, if you don't own a gun safe, 
hey, solve that problem. You know, go buy one. And, and, and my first gun safe that I bought a long time ago when I was broke and, you know, newlywed, it sucked. It was a piece of junk and it was key and it wasn't very good and it was better than nothing. And, you know, endless upgrades have been made over the years. But here, here's the point. I suspect that a larger majority of the people who don't put that gun in a gun safe at night, it's because they think that it would take too long. They think that tactically it's an issue of speed and time that it would de- it would slow them down too much. And so I didn't I didn't say okay, well then I'm going to do a test to find out which safes are the best. That's not the point. The point is generally speaking how much slower is it to have a safe? Right? Are we talking about, you know, it it's slowing me down by 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 2 seconds, 5 seconds? That was the point of me kind of running these tests is, you know, I I just can't test all the safes out there, you know, so to each their own on that regard, it's more a question of, well, how much slower is a safe? And and so I I was just trying to kind of hit the main styles uh, of safes. And the, you know, the, that, that was the premise. And so that, that was the idea. And to kind of stage this, so for those of you guys, like how in the world did you test this? Uh, I used a cert with LASR. I set up, um, you know, essentially I put a target on my bedroom door and from that door to, you know, right next to my bed where I would be standing if I jumped out of bed, that's 15 feet. So that gives you a sense of distance, 15 feet. I have LASR set up on, on the laptop, webcam pointing on target, and I'm using a cert pistol. So I essentially just ha- used a, ran- a, a random delayed start on LASR. So I hit go, I lay in bed, and between six and 10 seconds or something like that, uh, it, the software is going to call out the, the, the buzz, you know, beep. And when I hear the buzzer, I jump out of bed, you know, retrieve gun based on whatever the current test is, and I fire. And the the second that the LASR software detects the red laser dot on target, it's going to count that shot. And that's what we're timing here is time from buzzer response to, or I should say, you know, alert, right? Time from alert to shot on target. It was not about how quickly the gun was in my hand. It was about actual first shot on target. So that, that kind of stages, you know, some of this in terms of the setup and the intent, so I'm I'm ready to get into the numbers, Riley. I don't know if you had something else you wanted to add. No, go go for it. Okay, so first off, you know, like any good experiment, you have to have a control. And so my control was just set the gun on the nightstand, right? So I'm laying in bed. I just set the gun on the nightstand, and I'm gonna jump out, grab the gun, and shoot. Like I don't have to retrieve it from anything. I don't have to pull it out of a holster. I don't have to open a drawer. No safe. No buttons. No keys. Just grab it and shoot. And I did it, I don't remember how many times, probably right around six, seven, eight times. And then I averaged those times. And the average was 2.51 seconds. Now, that's the control. Now, before I move on, let me just make a couple of disclaimers. I am not, in this experiment, trying to establish how long it would take for me in the middle of the night to respond. It would obviously take longer than that, right? Because in a real situation, I'd be asleep, for one. I'd be groggy. I'd have covers on, blah, blah, blah. I'd be dark, you know. Um, your fine motor skills would be more more challenged. So that that wasn't, it wasn't about like, hey, I'm not telling you that you can respond in two and a half seconds. I'm saying that that's our, our, our control and anything else we're just going to measure against that control for relative purpose to have a sense for how much slower or faster is any other method. So it's not about total response time. It's about relative response time to the control. Is that, does that make right. sense, Riley? Am I saying something a- absolutely. intelligent? I'm glad you made that 
clarification, by the way, because that was some of the comments you got on the article, right? Was right, sure. Well, this isn't realistic because you know you're you know you should do this at night in the dark, and you know that sure, that was not sure. the point. Like you said, the point was to simply all right, which method or which style of safe or whatever you know, like how do these compare? And I think the way you did it is is perfectly fine as a comparison because it's simply looking at, I mean, you can perfectly see what you're doing. Uh, you can enter in the codes, you know, appropriately. And, you know, it's just comparing methods against methods in a very controllable situation. I mean, if, if we introduced the dark or the inability to see, then we do introduce other variables into that, sure. that test. Meaning like maybe one time you fumble, but the next time you don't. So uh, I actually think it's, you know, important that we did it the way you, the way you did it. Uh, and, and then of course we know that in, in at dark in the, you know, in night at night in the dark would be different. And it is, it's actually eye opening too, by the way, I think making that realization looking at the time it does take for you to jump out of bed and open up or a safe or grab a gun is eye-opening because everybody understands that at night in the dark with uh, sleepy eyes that it's going to take considerable amounts more you know, more time. And so even more the reason why I think we need to be prepared and also practice uh, deploying your gun in your bedroom at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're in for the sake of this study, this research I was doing. I'm trying to isolate one simple variable, and so that that's why it was set up this way. And 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 I disclaimed that in the video, and so people still comment, which makes you think they either don't read the video or they just really think it's you know noteworthy read, for well, them to re- reiterate it. People yeah. don't read videos, Jacob. Oh, watch. Sorry. Thank you. <clears throat> they either didn't watch the video or they just, they think that it's, they should reiterate the point, but whatever. All right. So gun on nightstand, no safe at all. No holster. It's just sitting on top of my nightstand. I hear the buzzer. I jump up. I grab the gun. I fire average response time, 2.51 seconds. So, you know, basically two and a half. That's our control. That's our, that's our zero mark. That's our benchmark. Okay. So next test is gun in drawer in nightstand. So I open the drawer set the gun in. Still no holster, still no safe, still no key, no nada. It's just, I got to open a drawer now. Okay. So lay down, buzzer goes off, jump up, open drawer, grab gun, shot on target. And I, you know, I, I did all these a minimum of, of eight times, I think. So that kind of gives you an idea. So my average response time on that one, 3.16 seconds. So compared to the control, it's 0.65 seconds slower. 0.65 seconds slower. Um, so that it's slower. Right, that, that, that'd be my first message is like, is it slower? Like we all know it's going to be slower. Like I don't think I'm blowing anyone's mind like, hey, did you know that having a gun in a safe is slower than having it just sitting on the nightstand? The question is how much slower? So now you know to have it in the nightstand, how much how much more time does it add for me to, have to just open a drawer essentially? About 0.65 seconds, you know, a little more than half a second. All right, so next I uh, I, I grabbed a you know digital keypad safe. It was a sports field safe, but I think most of these are very comparable. Basically, you have three brands in the, in this game that are big players. You have Stack On, you have Sports Field, and you have Gun Vault. Uh, Gun Vault's probably got the biggest market share, but anyway, they're all pretty comparable. It's it's a side access spring loaded door safe. It's got digital keys 
uh, keypad on the top. Four buttons, you program your combination. So I started with a four-digit combination because I think that's probably the most common is, you know, four digits. And I was, I, I, you know, for the sake of the test, I, I reprogrammed all these safes to essentially be one, two, three, four, or one, two, three when I started doing three-digit combinations just because it would make, you know, muscle memory faster and easier for me to have consistency. So now I hear the buzzer, I jump up out of bed, I go one, two, three, four, door flies open, it's spring-loaded, I retrieve gun, turn, pivot, boom, shot on target. Okay, average response time with that is 4.55 seconds, which means compared to the control, it's 2.04 seconds slower. 2.04 seconds slower than the control, than the gun just sitting on the nightstand. So this this was actually very intriguing to me. I was like, okay, so essentially... You know, in this case, with this particular safe, four-digit four combination, I'm if I decide to lock up my gun, I'm just saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to slow down my response time by roughly two seconds. Now, I thought this, it occurred to me at this point, I was like, you know, maybe I could program a less digits. Like how much slower is it to type in four digits versus three? So I reprogrammed the safe to accept the combination one, two, three. So only three digits and I repeat the test and average response time 4.02 seconds. And so if you're following this at all, you would know what that is, is it's a little bit faster. It's about half, I basically shaved about a half a second by having to put in one less button. And so compared to the control, it's 1.51 seconds slower than our control. So, okay, if I have a side-mounted, spring-loaded, side-access you know, safe on my nightstand, and I got to type in three-digit combination that's that I have some muscle memory for that it's easy to remember, in my case, you know, one, two, three, that's going to basically be 1.51 seconds slower than the gun just sitting on top of the nightstand. And I never got better than this. So, I'll, I'll go through some of the other combinations, different kinds of safes and things, but you'll know that I should tell you this isn't the fastest gun safe response time I could get, an average of 4.02 seconds or 1.51 seconds slower than our control. So, that, that would be our best. A best case scenario, if you put a gun in a gun safe, you're essentially accepting at least one and a half seconds slower response time than not having a safe at all. Yeah. So far, so good? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, I mean, this is not anything necessarily surprising. Uh, but, it, sure. but it is the reality. And so I understand. I mean, there's going to definitely be some people that will point to that difference and suggest, well, this is exactly why I just leave the gun on the nightstand because I can get to it that much quicker, which may or may not Valid. make the difference in a, yeah. you know, in terms of saving a life, um, which, you know, I, I can't necessarily deny with, you know, deny that, uh, you know, but does it override my own personal desire for, you know, my, my children's security? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, so, you know, but I, what I will say is it, it does like going through this definitely did soften my tone. Yeah. Right. Like after I did this and I now when I stand in front of a group of students and I talk about this, I say, listen, like you have to make some decisions based on your own situation. Like, you know, maybe you do live alone. Maybe you never have kids ever in your house. Maybe you have, you know, you live in an apartment where you can't have a loud barking dog and you have no security system and, you know, one and a half seconds could be the deal breaker. Um, you know, so like to each their own is what, like, I, I guess this did soften my tone. It, I, my feelings about young f- kids in the house, you know, that hasn't changed. And I think we were, <laughs> we were both pretty clear on how we feel about that. But I, I guess that now, you know, that best case scenario, what we're talking about is 1.51 seconds. We're not talking about 10 seconds. We're not talking about 30 seconds. We're not talking about 
you know, 10 minutes, we're talking about 1.51 seconds. That's what we're talking about. Yep. Great. To be clear. Yep. So what was the, uh, what was the slowest method that you tested? Yep. So let me, yeah, the keys are the slowest, but before we get to the keys, let's talk about just push buttons. So the the next one I did test was a side mount. So we're from, some of you should be familiar oh, with these right. side mount staves. Uh, Gun Vault makes it, Stack On makes it, and Sports of Field makes it. And at the time, the only one I had was the Stack On. So I, I assumed that they're all pretty comparable. But the difference, the main difference with these these side mount safes is, in theory, they're getting mounted to the side of your nightstand, and they're kind of opening forward, not spring-loaded, but just via gravity. That It's kind of opening in a forward motion. The good news on these is the gun is oriented for a much easier draw, I believe. Um, but the bad news is it's not a spring-loaded door, so it takes a lot t- long, longer to open open. Um, the stack on is also, you know, frankly, just to be honest, it's probably slower than sports of field or gun vault varieties. And, and we're going to do some more testing on that later. I've actually, I have all three here now and we're, later we'll do some more reviews and side by sides, but the stack on, imagine I'm jumping out of bed, buzzer, jump out one, two, three combination. And then, and if you watch the video, you literally see me sit there and stare at it, waiting for it to open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, open, yeah. open, 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 please open. And then it drops and then I'm grabbing the gun. And so 2.81 seconds slower than the control. That's that's the answer. 2.81 seconds slower than the control. But even though that's considerably slower than the side access spring-loaded door safes, um, it's actually faster than the... Uh, oh, excuse me, it's not faster. It's I, I was actually I was getting confused with my own data. It's also faster than the clamshell. So the clamshell is actually... Um, a unique one here. So the clamshell, imagine, is, as Riley described, it, it's like a clamshell. It's 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 a top access safe. So you have to punch in a combination, and then you need, with one of your hands, to grab the lid, the door of this thing, lift it out of the way, and then grab the gun. And I tested this both in four-digit and three-digit combinations. I'm just going to talk about three-digit because that you know that's that's kind of our control now. So in a three-digit combination with the clamshell, the the difference between it and the control is 2.08 seconds. So it's a little bit faster than the side mount, but not as fast as the uh, side access spring-loaded door. And and obviously the difference is I got to reach down, grab that thing, open it manually, and then grab the gun. And that that action of grabbing that door and opening it manually is basically adding a little more than half a second. So instead of my 1.51 second you know, slower than the control, now I'm at 2.08 seconds slower the control. So basically add a half second for opening that clamshell. Yeah. If that, you know. By the way, that brings me to a, a little kind of critique I have about, uh, and this applies to pretty much all of these manufacturers equally. All that make, you know, these uh, top access or kind of clamshells, clamshell style quick access safes. I'd love to see a little bit of a lip or handle. <laughs> On uh, like the front top edge of those things that you can actually grab a little bit easier. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, and it's like, I don't know why that's such an oversight because it seems such like such a simple but very obvious, you know, logical thing to do. Uh, but none of them feature it that I've seen. So, oh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'll give you my two cents about these clamshells. You know, if you go look at handgun safes out there, and I have, in the clamshell variety, I have a gun vault and I have a stack on, and I have a generic brand one that we uh, were importing from China a few years ago. And um, here'd be my two cents. They're the cheapest. 
when you go to buy a handgun safe, you will find that the clamshell, clamshell variety is going to be less expensive than any other variety. And so a lot of gun owners end up with those. And they're extremely convenient for tight spaces. So I love my clamshell safe for the car because I can slide it under a seat and it always it fits real well uh, in any vehicle. They're just not very tall. They're very slim. And so they, they work really well in tight spaces, but they're not ideal for quick access because of this very thing we're talking about, that it, it's going to take more time to peel that sucker open yeah yeah so uh by the way i actually you know where i use my little clamshell one is it's it's perfect for in the vehicle because it fits right underneath uh, yeah. the seat and uh that's exactly what i do so uh it works really that's you know a perfect use case in my opinion for those for those ones uh whereas the uh side access or front access ones i i actually prefer for in the bedrooms so um Keys. You want to talk about keys? Yep. Let's get to the keys. This will be the last part for those of you getting bored with the data. And this chart, all this data is in the show notes. If you click through, um, we have two different links in the show notes. One will take you just to the survey data results. The other link will take you to uh, my my testing of you know different methods and draw and stuff like that. So keys. I did this first. I was actually kind of stupid because the first thing I did is I set the safe uh, on the nightstand and put the key right next to it on the nightstand. And I did that like like five, six, eight times or something. And compared to the control, it's 2.79 seconds slower, um, which is actually, I was pretty impressive with, with the key. But here, here's the problem. Why in the world would you ever do that? Like who, who would put the key right next to the safe? Like I immediately realized that was stupid. I was like, wait a minute. Like what's the point of having the safe if the key's right next to it? The, the premise of having a keyed safe is that that key is the thing that's hidden, that people can't, people need the key. And so that, so inherently the key has to be removed. And so I then did a test with the key in the drawer, which I still think is not practical. I think that for those of you who are listening to this and use a key safe, like, honestly, ask yourself, how far away is the key? Because that's the factor in, in response time is retrieving the key. Inserting the key and turning it, uh, how big a difference was that? Half a second or so. But it's, it's about retrieving the key. So, what, for example, I, when I put the key in the drawer, and again, I don't think it's extraordinarily practical, but that's what I did. I put the key in the drawer. So now buzzer sounds, jump out of bed, open drawer, grab key, stick key in, and turn key. Compared to the control, it's 3.23 seconds slower. So that, and th- this is our slowest one of all the things I tested, 3.23 seconds slower grabbing a key out of a drawer. And, but again, you know, consider practically where would you have to put that key in order to make the thing actually secure and, and have any point at all. And, and you might have to put the key quite a ways away, or you might need to have a good method to, to hide it or, you know, to, to make it hard to discover. So here, here's be my summary from the data. Here's the point. The point is, compared to not having the gun in a safe and having the gun in the safe, you're increasing your response time by between one and a half seconds and three and a half seconds ish. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the range, uh, and it could be worse. Maybe you know if you had the key super far away or something. But but just you know to kind of give you some ballpark, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a decision weighing in your in your you know imagine like a set of scales in front of you, and in one scale you're saying hmm, one and a half to three and a half seconds slower, and the other scale you're saying far more secure from unauthorized people, and you've got to decide what's you know how it works for you. And for some people they might say. 
what unauthorized people there's no one ever in my home ever and even if an intruder came in i sleep like light like a feather and my dog's annoying and i got a home security system so i would definitely have a you know some time um to be you know they, they wouldn't be able to sneak up to my bedroom and grab my gun while i'm still in bed so so maybe to me i'll say uh, I'll save myself the one and a half to three and a half seconds and just sit the gun on the nightstand. And to you, if, if that's the decision you make, I say no judgment, that's fine. But to a lot of people, and I think a higher percentage of people than, than was reported, what they should do is say, you know what, one and a half to three and a half seconds isn't that much. And I'm willing to increase my response time by one and a half to three and a half seconds to have the peace of mind of knowing that unauthorized people will never get it. Yep. Yeah. You know, if I had a key, uh, if I was depending on that, I would probably keep it on me either like on a necklace or on a, you know, uh, a bracelet or something, you know, where it's on me. And, you know, if I was concerned with needing to access something uh, quickly, but clearly, I mean, keyed locks, uh, it's not what I would deem as being quick access necessarily, especially where if it is dark and if you are under stress, uh, you don't know what's going on. You're feeling the pressure. Uh, the adrenaline starts to pump. You know, like that's going to be a little bit harder. I think you know you're you're more likely to fumble getting the key into the lock and uh, opening the safe. I, I think than you know using some of these other uh, uh, products. I mean, like Gun Vault is one of my favorites. Uh, I think the Sports of Field ones are great too. Uh, but it, it's great because you can find very easily and naturally where your fingers are supposed to go. You know when you're in the right place, you enter in your code, you're good to go. The, the ones I don't really care for as far as the push button uh, combos are actually those, those side mount ones a lot of times. I think all the ones I've seen, they pretty much have the key or, or the comp, the buttons oriented in kind of like a square pattern where you've got four buttons and there's two on top and two on the bottom. And those, I think, I mean, and I'm curious about your thoughts, Jacob, because you actually tested these, you know, together and side by side. Uh, did you feel like those were uh, a little bit slower than maybe the ones where your your hand more naturally just kind of finds the position as far as uh, hitting the buttons? It's an unfair question frankly, because when I'm doing these tests, I don't have muscle memory for all, for any, but one of these, the one I actually use every day. Um, and for that one, I have phenomenal muscle memory because I do it twice a day. Uh, and I, I unlock it frequently. And so my, my muscle memory is strong and good. And so naturally I'd be inclined to say that's the best one. The other ones I am having to have really good cognitive strength and focus to, to be able to perform quickly. And so it'd be easy for me to point and say, oh, those ones are tough, you know? But I don't think it has anything to do with it at all. I, I mean, let me ask you, like, Riley, do you remember back in the day before cell phones? Like, you know, think of like your best friend when you were in junior high. You could pick up the phone off the wall in your house, you know, on the, on the cord. And, you know, you probably had numbers memorized without knowing the numbers. Like there were numbers you could punch into the keypad of your phone and you didn't. And then if I just walked up and said, "Hey, what's so and so's phone number?" You'd be like, "I don't know. Give me a phone. I can dial it." Like the muscle memory was so strong that it didn't have anything to do with you know how good the buttons on the phone were. It had to do with the fact that you dialed that number so many times. So I I, I will answer by saying I don't think it's as as significant an issue as we think. 
I think it's a more about the muscle memory, having trained and done and repeated the thing over and over and over again. And very similar to a holster where some people might say, oh my gosh, you carry a holster with active retention system. Oh, that's going to get you killed because it's, you know, it's going to take you so long to disable that retention. Eh, bull crap. Like, I, I mean, I, my draw stroke on a holster with a retention system, if I use that holster all the time and I've trained with it, is no slower than, than a holster with no active retention system because I've trained it. So, so that's my belief is I think that, sure, like we could definitely nitpick on some of those things. I think there's other things that are more relevant and I'll talk about some of those. But in terms of the layout of the buttons or the way the fingers might naturally go, go to them or fill into them, I don't think that's particularly mission critical as much as simply train with what you got and you'll be fine. I think the muscle memory is the bigger factor. Okay. You know, I, I just look at it from, uh, I feel like with those ones that where the buttons are not necessarily oriented where they fit my fingers naturally, it's more like something I have to look at to enter in the code, you know, more than Perhaps. when I can just sort of like feel, oh, my hand's where it needs to be, enter in the buttons and I'm good to go. I don't have to look at it. But uh, I appreciate your uh, your feedback you on that. You don't look at your keyboard to figure out if your fingers are on the right keys, do you, when you type? No. Not anymore. No. Uh, and maybe that's not a fair, maybe that's not apples to apples, but but uh, it's certainly, uh, here, here, here's fair. Some things might give you an advantage than others, but probably the majority of that advantage that might be achieved can be um, negated or uh, overridden by just pure practice. Okay. So, you know, we're kind of getting to where I think we should you know, wrap this up. And and uh, I'm just curious, what are the takeaways? What, you know, some, summarize this for us, Jacob, as far as what you learned from this evaluation, from this testing, from trying all these different safes, uh, different types of safes, different positions. You know, what did you get from all that? And uh, what do folks take away from this episode here today? A couple of things. One, uh, a good safe is worth paying for. So I think that a lot of us get into trouble because we know we need a safe and we go buy a piece of crap. So I, I would encourage listeners to stop and say, have I set aside the cash to care as much about my gun safe as I do about my gun? You know, most of us are willing to save money to go get the best gun. But all too often, I think many of us go buy a crappy gun safe to save the cash. So that would be my next thought is, have you put enough, have you put as much thought into the gun safe as you have the gun? And if not, you know, get on that. Um, second thought would be, if we're talking about have the gun in the safe or not have the gun in the safe, we're talking about one and a half to three and a half seconds. That's that's the point. And probably more realistic, one and a, one and a half to two and a half seconds, if we're not talking about keys. Um, so one and a half to two and a half seconds, like, it's up to you. I will completely respect the decision made by the listener, by the reader of this study. Like, Having been fully informed of all these variables, if you decide to leave that gun sitting on the nightstand, not locked up, having known all this stuff we've shared, I say, cool, all good. Like, I will, I will totally respect that. Unless you have kids that are young between zero and 10, then I just think you're a moron. But for everybody else, it's fine. And maybe there are exceptions to all rules. It's all, whatever. But just know that that's what we're talking about. One and a half to two and a half seconds. That's really the question here. What, you know, are you willing to slow your response time in order to ensure absolute um, security from unauthorized people? And, and then here be a couple other just you know anecdotal things that that might be worth thinking about that we didn't talk about. Illuminated buttons. Do the buttons light up when I press them? Um, illuminated interior. When that gun safe opens and I reach in there to grab a gun, can I see in there? 
Am I slipping my finger into the trigger guard accidentally as I go to draw the gun from the safe? And then I think my, my final like major thing I would leave with the listener is all this stuff that we've set aside, let me reiterate, it just comes down to practice. Like you practice drawing your gun, you practice shooting your gun, do you practice pulling it out of a safe? Because you should be. Okay, I said that was my last thing. I got one more. <laughs> one more thought. Your concealed carry, daily carry, put it on my in my holster on my body and walk around with a gun probably should not be your home defense gun. So with that in mind, you know, what are you doing about that? Like my, my nightstand safe, if I can just use that term, my nightstand safe has more than one gun in it because for convenience sake, that's where I'm going to put my daily carry gun or guns. But for emergency home access, home, you know, home invasion sake, when I open that safe, neither of the guns I carry on a day-to-day basis are the ones I'm reaching for. I'm reaching for my home defense gun, which has a, a, a lighted, a mounted light, for example, among you know, other differences. So that would be my other sense. It's thought for you is when you, when we're talking about storing the gun at night, um, if you only have one gun, that's, that's your only gun, like make use of it. But if you have multiple guns, you probably should put some, some brain power into, what is the best gun for a home defense situation? And that's the gun you want to have in that safe. Uh, and and maybe, maybe you know, your daily carry gun, you're going to put in a different safe or somewhere else in that same safe if it's big enough to have multiple guns. But but consider that as well. So I'm going to be a little diff- different from you on that, Jacob. I'm going to say, why wouldn't you, uh, you know, use the same gun, uh, both for home defense as well as for personal defense when you're out and about what you're carrying. Uh, yeah, now some of that would be, by the way, and this, <laughs> this would be a whole different topic and, and something we've actually probably have touched on a little bit here and there, but, um, you know, okay. So we know a lot of, a lot of people carry little, little guns, carry friendly guns throughout the day. And I think if you were talking about that, then that would be absolutely true. I would say, probably a little bit bigger gun, a little bit more capacity, uh, being able to put a light on it. Cause sometimes he's you know, like my Glock 43 doesn't mount a light, at least not, not a rail mounted one. Um, but, uh, you know, that's probably not your best choice for home defense, but then I got to flip that question around and say, well, what you might use for home defense, why wouldn't you carry that? Now, some people are going to have very valid and legitimate reasons, uh, all sorts of reasons, but, my progression in concealed carry has been through the years. I started with something kind of big and then I, and some of that was because early on that might've been the only gun I had or the only gun I could afford, uh, or for whatever reason I thought I'd, I needed to carry, you know, that, that big gun, uh, and, and, and not necessarily always for the right reasons. Uh, and then I progressed, okay, ugh, carrying this big old thing is not working out so well. So I went small, right? And in the last, you know, several years, I've moved away from small, more back to a, you know, like a Glock 19, I've found to be a very ideal carry gun for me, but also still a very valid, you know, uh, gun for home defense. Um, And so in that case, I can have the same gun serve both purposes very, very adequately. Um, Sure. I I think, I think the key here is for us to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about our listeners and thinking, Guys, like, yeah, like, (laughs) 
you know, episode 10 and probably a future episode we should record, like, you should probably just be carrying a bigger gun. But, like, think about the class, right, that we taught on Friday. Like, how many people showed up and said, well, if I'd brought my, you know, my favorite gun to shoot, it would have been XYZ, but I brought the one I carry, and it's it's this little compact or my shield or, the you know, whatever. And, and so, whether it's ideal or whether it's a legitimate reason, a lot of people are carrying guns that aren't ideal for home defense. And so... I, I guess my thought would be, yeah, we can have that conversation and we should about why you should carry bigger guns. And you and I, frankly, I mean, most of the time we do carry pretty large guns on a daily basis, but you, both of us on a, on occasion will carry a Glock 43. Uh, I'm not a daily carrier of a Glock 43, but I do sometimes carry it depending on what I'm wearing, where I'm going, et cetera. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just kind of my smaller gun for certain circumstances. And so I guess, yeah, that would be my two senses. For those of you who you're carrying a gun that's not the home defense gun because your home defense gun should maximize capacity and should have a light. Like yeah. th- Those are two things that I, I feel confident I can say and no one's going to send me hate mail. Your home defense gun should have as much ammo as conceivably possible and it should have a light. And, you know, another episode, probably we should talk about how to use that light properly. But But those two things in mind, if you're then not carrying that gun, then don't use your, your carry gun for your home defense gun. And if they're two separate guns, now we have to have that conversation I'm alluding to of where do I store what at night? Yeah. All fair points. Uh, I, you know, a lot of times I'm carrying my Glock 19 and I am not necessarily carrying it with a light on it on my person, although I'm, I've am i started doing more of that. I've got some holsters now, some IWB, AIWB holsters that, you know, except a light, uh, you know, they, they fit. And, uh, and, and so there are many more times now than ever before with me personally, where I am actually carrying my gun in the same configuration that I have it in the safe at home at night. Um, so there's that as well. And I think more and more people are actually doing that as well. Um, but the other thing is that I'll carry, say, a lightless uh, uh, Glock 19 or whatever throughout the day, and I keep in that safe, you know, when I get up f- for the day and get ready, I, I take I take a weapon mount light off of it, stick it in the safe, close up the safe. And then at night, open it up, stick the light back on, stick it in the safe. It's ready to go. It's sure. the same gun. Sure. You know, I'm just changing up the configuration. It only takes a moment to do. But also, um, and I'll touch on this actually in a moment with my pick of the week, there's something else I think you should have in that safe with a home defense gun like that, even if you have a weapon mounted light. So I, I think it's time to officially wrap this one up. Uh, I, I know it's actually it's been kind of a, it's been a long episode so far. I wasn't even paying paying attention to the time as we were recording this. Um, but hopefully, what people take away from this is that you should maybe consider. I, I think this would be the prudent thing: consider storing your gun in a quick access safe for safety and security both children involved and situations where children are not involved because of, yeah, the potential that somebody actually comes into your home <laughs> that uh, criminal or even not, but we're concerned about all those potential situations. And secondly, be considering, you know, the different options available as far as safes go and maybe what is a little bit quicker, maybe what is a little bit better or a little bit more ideal uh, based on some of the things that you discovered, Jacob, and also folks that, you know, be willing to try different things and and, and see what works best for you as well. Um, obviously, it's not very practical to buy, you know, we literally went out and bought all these different safes and safe options and then ran these tests. Uh, and and that, that's not, not practical for everybody out there to do. Uh, so hopefully you've learned something from, you know, what we've discussed here today and from this testing that was done. 
that helps you make a choice as far as what you might use at home for uh, for safe and secure storage of your firearms. Riley, one thing that I just realized we probably just can, should mention quickly mm-hmm. that would be foolish of us not to, and that is that any gun safe should be secured. So don't forget that. Um, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where the intruder can come into the home when we're not home. Uh, you know, grab that gun safe and just haul it out. So make sure your gun safes, yeah. you know, they're mounted to something or you're using a security cable that goes around something heavy or something, you know, secure that safe. Yep. Yeah, very, very good. And that's certainly true also in the vehicle uh, with my little clamshell one. It's always got a cable attached to it for that very reason as well. Good stuff. Okay, so Jacob, uh, real quick, uh, before we get to our picks of the week, today's episode is brought to you by our new concealedcarry.com adhesive targets. Uh, the One of the latest products we have manufactured and made available for sale on concealedcarry.com. These new adhesive targets will stick and stay in temperatures between minus 20 degrees to 160 degrees. A special printing process and high-quality materials eliminate glare and increase visibility. They're sold in packs of 10, 100, or 1,000 check out these new concealed carry branded concealed carry.com branded adhesive slash reactive targets at concealed carry.com forward slash stick targets i'll just got to tell you guys we've had these now for a little while we've been testing them they work so much better than any of the competing products out there in my opinion now they don't necessarily show the hits maybe in some cases quite as visibly like meaning they don't splatter like some of the splatter targets quite as uh, violently, but you can definitely see your hits. But the big key is that these suckers actually stick. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, how many times do you use one of those peel and stick targets? You stick it on the target and the wind blows it off. I've had that happen many times. These guys, these things are the real deal. We hope that you'll check them out. And for a limited time, you can save 10% off these with a minimum order of $30 using the the coupon code podcast 10. So concealedcarry.com forward slash stick targets, 10% off with podcast 10 minimum order of $30. And today's episode is brought to you by quick draw. Do things feel gritty and sluggish when drawing your gun out of your holster? Do your magazines sometimes get hung up in the magwell when performing reloads when they used to just drop freely? You might check out QuickDraw, the lubricant that's designed for holsters and magazines. In testing, we found a 10 to 15% decrease in draw to first shot times after using QuickDraw to freshen up the inside of our holsters. Check out QuickDraw at concealedcarry.com. Link in the show notes. I think you'll, you'll like what you find there. My pick this week, Jacob, is the Streamlight ProTac 2LX flashlight. Uh, I'm working on a review of the of this uh, light right now. Streamlight, uh, in full disclosure, sent me this for evaluation. Uh, this is a nice, pocket-friendly, uh, uh, you know, compact but very bright tactical flashlight. It runs off of two CR123 batteries. I am. You know, I, I'm always hesitant to use flashlights that use CR123s because, by golly, those things are expensive. <laughs> um, but I also picked up a what what you call an 18650 uh, or 18650 battery. Okay, uh, Streamlight also makes these little rechargeable batteries. They are exactly the same length and voltage as the uh, CR123 lithium ion batteries. Okay, and so you get a rechargeable battery. And if you have two of these, which a standard Streamlight, uh, I think that's like 40 bucks, you can get these rechargeable batteries uh, online on like Amazon. 
and they actually last longer than a than stand than the standard two CR one two three batteries, uh, and uh, you know then they're rechargeable. So the cost issue becomes less of an issue. So trying out the Streamlight ProTac two LX, it's five hundred lumens in a very compact package. It's got a you know fairly small head on it, but still puts out the brightness and and it has a good throw with adequate you know, side lighting as well. So you can, you know, it's really good for a tactical environment. And the cool thing I like about these Streamlight products is that the button is programmable. They call it their 10-tap programming. Uh, This has a couple different options. I can have it set to high, strobe, and low, uh, which is what it comes default. You can set it to be high only, or you can set it to be low, medium, high. Uh, I right now just have it set for high only. Um, the one critique would be that I'd like to see them maybe have a high and low, no strobe involved. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see if that, uh, type of, if that, if that setting becomes available or not, but this is a great little light. It's very affordable. I mean, very, you, you can find these on, on Amazon, uh, and for a great solid, you know, waterproof, very bright, very durable, uh, well-built flashlight. It's got a very competitive price. So, if you're interested, check out the Streamlight ProTac 2LX. Yeah, sounds fancy. Your pick. Go Streamlight. Yeah, my pick. Uh, the 511 Tactical Men's TAC A2 gloves. I think this is probably, I actually have no idea, but I suspect it's one of the top selling, if not the top selling uh, tactical gloves from 511. Uh, you can get them everywhere. You know, anywhere that sells 511 has them. Uh, Amazon has them. I think I got them. Uh, originally, I think this pair I got on Black Friday last year on the 511 website on their Black Friday sale, and uh, I wore I've worn these you know gloves now several times uh, in you know full days on the range, um, and I, I like them. I like cool. them. They're comfy. They feel good. My hands feel good when I'm done. I don't feel like I'm wearing gloves. They're not bulky, and they're very affordable. I think they're they're economic uh, pair of, of gloves. Great. Nice pick. And I've, I've seen you shoot with them. And uh, in fact, did you run these in the low light carving course we did in New Hampshire? Yes. That's, yep. Same gloves. That's what I thought. So yeah, great, great gloves from what I've seen as well. Good stuff. So uh, just a reminder that, uh, oh, well, are up next. <laughs> uh, it's actually going to be part of uh, what I was about to say as well. My up next is I'm so excited, super stoked for Independence Day. Uh, you know, America. I, I plan on uh, at least some point here in the next few days uh, as we approach, especially Independence Day, of getting out to the range, uh, shooting a few rounds, uh, and hopefully just having some fun. Uh, what about you, Jacob? Yeah, I love America. I'm going to sit back in a chair and think about John Adams or something. Um, I, I, I try every year to listen to the abridged audiobook called 1776 by David McCullough. Uh, I've read the physical book once. I have both versions of the of the of the hard cop of the you know the hardcover book, but the audio version is abridged. But I think that you know as a as a way to reread a book, or for those of you who just you know don't care, um, the abridged copy of 1776 is easy to get through, and I try and do it every year. I like that. That's a very appropriate activity for uh, this time of year. Good stuff. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode here today. Uh, I know it was a little bit longer than what we generally shoot for, but a lot of really 
hopefully interesting uh, information that was covered. And this was really an in-depth uh, study that Jacob primarily, like, like I said, uh, uh, that you worked on and it took you some time to get this all put together. Uh, we appreciate all those that participated in it, whether you were a survey respondent or uh, you uh, commented on the article that came out of it or whatever. We really appreciate all of the comments, survey results, uh, perspectives, opinions, and everything. Uh, it's all really, really great stuff. And and also, thank you for listening to the podcast and being supportive of it and of us here at ConcealedCarry.com. Uh, without you, we couldn't do it. Uh, without your support of our sponsors, of you know purchasing things through our store or whatever, we, we wouldn't be able to keep doing it because it just it just wouldn't be possible. Uh, we're now 134 episodes in. Uh, it takes a lot of time and resources each week to to put together the Concealed Carry podcast. Uh, thanks to to all of you, like I said, that support it. Those of you that have uh, taken a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. And I know that you hear that all the time. And I know some of you go, oh, what's this stupid iTunes thing? Well, it unfortunately is still pretty much the only place, <laughs> uh, that, that does anything, uh, you know, that has any sort of benefit that you can leave a review of the podcast. And those of you that have done so, we really appreciate it. Um, it helps the podcast rank higher and more people thus find us and the concealed carry podcast. And hopefully therefore more people are influenced, uh, and helped and educated and informed and trained, uh, to be, you know, better gun owners, better defenders of home and country. And so with that, we're going to sign off here from the podcast, Jacob. Yes, um, sign off. <laughs> and so with that, have a great weekend. Have a safe Independence Day. Remember to train right, train off, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Have a good day. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.